Welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to our phenomenal robotics community in Australia. Today, I have a special guest, James Rennie. James, you started AUAV, which uh, we've just had a bit of a discussion about, is the Australian unmanned or uncrewed aerial vehicles, whichever people want to do. You provide drone solution services and data solution services to the Australian market and now abroad as well. Welcome and thank you for joining me. No worries. Thank you very much for inviting me along. Tell us a little bit about your journey to starting the company. Uh, yeah, so I was working in uh, consulting firms, so engineering uh, consulting firms, uh, essentially mostly as a manager, but um, trying to get my hands dirty doing some river management things. Um, I flew radio control planes from the age of about 11 years old, and um, so about 10 years, a little bit longer, 10 years of doing that. Somebody sent me a video, a friend of mine, and uh, she said, hey, check this out. These drone things look pretty cool. Um, as I was dealing with data and I had the GIS team sort of reporting in my group, I thought that looks something really cool. I'll give that a shot. So that was, uh, well, I actually got sent the video probably late 2012. And by early 2013, I'd um, yeah, set up a UAV. Congratulations. Like just as simple as that. Uh, did you have funding or were you bootstrapped? Very, very bootstrapped. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Yes, I think um, uh, yeah, total income. Uh, okay, total income for the first year is um, signif was significantly less than what we currently pay in our quarterly bass. So um, yeah, it's uh, it was a very bootstrappy time. Um, I went through a little bit of a um, uh, control alt delete on my life at the time. So yeah, it was in an interesting way to start. So have you got any advice for any founders out there just on this topic? Because I know like I bootstrapped myself and my company, Exaptic, and um, it was quite a few really lean years that, that I had to go through. Um, I think this whole thing about, oh, I've got my own company. I don't know what people out there think, but I think this is for most of the founders. This is the experience. Yep. Um, I've written an article I haven't published yet, basically, which is around um, to grow or not to grow. So what are some of the pain points um, of growing a business and especially a drone business, a drone related business and some of the advantages of not growing one, um, having been through the process of growing one and uh, and then obviously going to a trade sale. So, um, yeah, one day I'll get around to actually publishing that. But um, <laughs> what would I recommend it? Uh, yes, in hindsight, um, it was tough at the time, but um, yeah, it's been really rewarding. So 20, 2013, you mentioned that date. Um, what was the drone climate like in Australia at the time? I think probably pretty immature. Uh, DJI had a few bits and pieces around, but really not very much. So it was pre-Phantom 1. It was uh, S1000s uh, around about that time. Um, I managed to secure the first um, SenseFly EB coming into Australia. So uh, EB105, so it was the 105th one built globally. Um, rest in peace. Uh, it was, uh, and then we also picked up 127 as well. So, um, yeah, we ran two uh, SenseFly EBs to start off with. And uh, yeah, from there, we've grown into um, uh, currently in the fleet, uh, well above 50 um, aircraft. Okay. And in terms of other companies, uh, how many were there in Australia at the time? Uh, the total on CASA uh, at the time with REOX, uh, there were 36. Of those, most were either working in defence or sales of the actual drone services business. So people actually going out and, and undertaking services. 
It would have been no more than half a dozen. Okay. And now there are 2,800, I think, since the last time I looked. And just to our audience, CASA is? Oh, Civil Aviation Safety Authority. Okay, and anyone that's working in drones needs to register with them? Uh, yes, so you have your effectively your drone pilot's license, so you, um, your REPL, your remote pilot's license, and then the company then holds a REOC, which is your operator certificate. Okay, and currently I think there are about 2,000 plus companies registered at CASA at the moment. Yeah, about 2,800. Um, I did see some numbers around. It's in the tens of thousands of people now that have their REPLs. So there are plenty of people who are qualified to operate drones. Um, I would question how many of those have actually found um, permanent work. But um, yeah, there's a lot of people trained. All right. So you've just mentioned that uh, we were talking about the Australian UAV and you've just nearly dropping the, the Australian bit about it because you've expanded into the UK. How many comp- uh, offices do you have in Australia firstly? And tell us about your UK expansion. Yeah, so we're now operating out of Melbourne, um, Sydney slash Newcastle, uh, Perth, uh, Darwin and some uh, Brisbane and some regional centres as well. Uh, and in okay. terms of, in terms of the UK expansion, we opened up in in Scotland recently, so based out of Glasgow and Aberdeen, and mm-hmm. um, obviously servicing the uh, primarily at the moment the oil and gas sector in, in um, the UK, and then we're looking at uh, US expansions as well. Congratulations, that's phenomenal. No worries, thank you. Yeah, so um, we touched on this. You're no longer director, having started the company. Um, how's the transition gone from being the owner to now being the managing director? Uh, I'm still a partial owner, but um, uh, yeah, we're the, so we sold the majority share of the business last year to uh, Vertec Group over in Perth. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's not much has changed, to be honest. Um, they're very hands off. They're, uh, uh, yeah, they kind of leave me just to do what I do. Um, when I first asked, I sort of went and said, oh, so what would you like me to do? And they went, do what you do. Just get on with it. <laughs> Okay. So, yeah, please don't contact us. But now with access to capital. So, um, yeah, it's been uh, enabling us to accelerate our expansion and growth and, um, yeah, take on new markets. That's very, that's really nice. And I I suppose from a personal level, you um, you must have like take a deep um, sigh of relief and go like the financials is not on me anymore. Someone else is taking care of this. I mean, it is. Uh, Yes and no. Um, uh, with all of these things, um, there, there's always uh, yeah, there's always someone to answer to. Obviously, yeah. um, previously it was answering very much to myself and and the other owner of the company. Um, so we used to answer to each other, and but also importantly, answering to the staff as well. So um, yeah, it's a as the company grows, the responsibility grows that you know that you're. Um, responsible for the livelihoods of quite a few other people so there's always that responsibility there and I always take that very seriously yeah you operate a fleet of fixed wing which you can explain to us and multi-rotor aircraft and you have the ability to craft custom hardware and software solutions tell us a little bit about who your clients are and uh, are you specializing in a specific field um so I guess we used to have a business advisor who um, would always say that we should be narrowing down our focus um, because we're, we're crossing too many different industries. But in, re- in reality, we've got two sectors. So one is a sort of aerial mapping, aerial survey side. So there's topographical surveys, whether that's using LIDAR um, or photogrammetry. Um, both are fit for purpose, doing various different things. Um, and the other side is asset inspection. So whether that's internal inspections, um, uh, industrial inspections. My philosophy when I first came into the industry was if we're not wearing high-vis, we shouldn't be there. 
So we do nothing with the creative industries. We do nothing with real estate, weddings or anything like that. Basically, it really is the the heavy industrial um, work that we really focus on. So whether that's uh, mining, um, the power stations, solar farms, wind farms, oil and gas, uh, landfills, quarries, mines, um, a lot of work with bridges, bridge inspections, uh, roads, rail, stability assessments on cliff faces, all of that sort of thing. So I guess that probably covers off on the bulk of the work that we do. Um, Interestingly, we do very little in telco. Um, That's not by design, it seems that um, yeah, a couple of other niche players have sort of got um, locked into that whole telco space, and yeah, we've um, yeah, we're happy with the work that we're doing. Okay, and in terms of the staff that you have, you've mentioned qualifications for flying drones. So, does everyone in your office have a qualification, and um, where are you finding your staff? That's a very topical comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, We do get a lot of people just directly approaching us, so people with their REPLs. Uh, Typically, we're looking for people either with qualifications in uh, survey, qualifications in industrial inspection, and then we'll basically train people up in that in the drone component of it. It's a lot easier to take someone who's a trained surveyor and teach them how to fly a drone than it is to get someone who can fly a drone and teach them how to become a surveyor. Um, We also have an in-house team of... um, data processing professionals so that team is actually growing quite a bit at the moment we've got another person coming on next week and uh, they come from uh, they've typically come from actually the the large traditional aerial survey companies so we've got two um, very senior people have come from one, um, one each of one of those but also from GIS and survey background as well. Okay and do you think universities are keeping up in terms of say if you look at a Uh, engineering degree do you think that this is something that they should be teaching like technology uh, field robotics per se um, as an example Uh, very much so Um, I'm aware of a couple of courses that are being developed at the moment and are being rolled out and that'll be fantastic so any course that um, we get a lot of people coming to us with backgrounds in aeronautical engineering which is not really our thing so typically I'll sort of pass them through to a few other other um, suppliers that maybe we work for. So as those CV, CVs come in, I'll pass those on, obviously with asking them first. But um, uh, yeah, that, it really is that geospatial data, database that um, if those courses now, those um, survey and inspection courses are basically integrating that. And we're hopefully supporting um, an organization at the moment with rolling out a um, uh, help with you know what drones can do and what drones can't do in terms of um, in this case it's bridge inspection. So um, yeah, so understanding the limitations I think is also a really important part of the business. There's a there's a I guess a bit of a push on that the drones are the be all and end all. So it's like I've got a drone, I, it will do everything. And we saw there um, in the in the hype cycle I think in the beginning. So sort of that sort of 2012, 13, 14, 15, even 16. It was drones could do absolutely everything, but we actually taper that back and say, well, have you thought about using a helicopter because it's going to be more cost effective in this particular circumstance? Or maybe you just get a stick with a camera on it. Um, You know, it's not very high up. That's a more straightforward and safer way of doing things. So it's really identifying where the drones fit into the mix. And typically I see that as um, if we do something that's faster, safer, cheaper, and we're getting better data, if we can tick off all four of those things, then it's a no-brainer. If it's only one of those things, you probably still want to look at um, alternatives too. Yeah. And are you actually doing any manufacturing or are you importing the hardware and then providing the solution? Uh, We used to do some manufacturers. So we used to do a bit of um, 
work around uh, developing up our own fixed wing drones, things like that. Um, what we ended up doing was uh, really sort of giving that away um, and deciding that if we really are a service business, so we we buy hardware and that could be any in all types of hardware, different types of drones um, and even remote boats. So we have our... Um, our USV uh, uh, surface vessel, and that's used for jetty inspections, things like that. So we're really just bringing that technology, but we're trying. We we don't. We do a little bit of customization on the edge, but we're trying not to really. We're trying to buy off the shelf. Okay. And what would you say are some of the major challenges working in this field? Uh, the weather. Yeah. <laughs> um, the weather, the location of the works. There's a lot of mobilisation. Um, we have a bit of an advantage now having staff scattered all around Australia. So it's a bit easier for us to, to get to locations. Um, also balancing the work. So it's it's quite seasonal. Um, what I've found this year, actually, since we now have quite a large focus in, in Northern Australia is this is the boom time for Northern Australia. So it's very, very busy. Whereas in Southern Australia over winter, it gets a bit quiet. So um, having that mix now means that we can remobilize staff to the north. And then over summer, when it gets wet season in the north, we can remobilize back to the south. So yeah. having that geographic north-south spread is, is quite advantageous. Um, I, I think one of the key challenges actually is finding uh, really good staff. So we have an amazing team of staff. Um, who all pull together, they're all pulling in the right direction and the, just having that sort of hive mind where we can all share that information. But because it's such a new industry, it's actually quite difficult to find um, yeah, really yeah, really good people who have been around for a while. Yeah. And how many staff do you have at the moment? Today or next week? Um, <laughs> Let's go with today. <laughs> uh, it's going up quite a lot. Uh, it would be about 27. Well done. That's really good. And I'm assuming next week it's going to be more. It's growing. We've uh, revenues have doubled in nine months. So, okay. um, yeah, we're definitely on the upward trend at the moment. Congratulations. So any drone flies out there, you're looking for a job, hit uh, Jan's <laughs> up after the podcast. He'd love to hear from you. Sorry, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, it's always, um, yeah, great to find, um, yeah, great people. And we we do have a list of a few people who would like to join that we've said, look, at this moment, we're focusing on different areas, but keep in touch. Um, yeah. We're looking at uh, probably a bit more expansion into Queensland um, later next year, and then maybe yeah, some other other territories um, yeah, a little bit later on. So I've got a, a plan as to where we're going and when. Since you've started, what are the biggest changes that you've seen in the industry? Uh, the price of the gear um, and just the... The sensors, the technology, the ease, the ease of use, um, it's chalk and cheese now compared to 10 years ago, um, uh, which is which is a blessing because the easier it is, the easier it is to find people to actually undertake the work because yeah. um, there's lower. But then, you know, the flip side of that is lower barrier to entry, which means that um, it means that the work that we used to do is now really easy and there's probably no, no margin in that. So we need to sort of keep working up that um, complexity tree. So, you know, now our typical projects are sub-millimeter pixel resolution, photogrammetric models of two-kilometer jetties, for example. Um, so we're talking about billions of points of data. Uh, so, yeah, it's um, it, it's getting more complex, but it's getting easier, and the gear is getting so much cheaper. You know, a, a, a Mini 3 drone, which is, what, $1,200 with all the Flymore kit and everything else, um, we'll do exactly the same thing that a $20,000 drone that would be the size of a kitchen table did 10 years ago. So it's, um, yeah, 
the tech is moving incredibly quick. So when we last met, we of course I spoke about Eripec and Supera and the work that they're doing there. Do you also have like a command center where you can see all your drones and what they're doing and at who's flying where at any given time? Um, we have a drone management system, so basically all of our approvals as, as per CASA requirements. So Chief Remote Pilot can go in there and basically approve all of those drone flights. And um, so that gets done on a, on a daily basis, sometimes more frequently. Um, I guess what I should add into that mix as well is because we're now part of the Vertec group, Vertec team are also sitting underneath the AUAV banner, if you like. Um, so yeah, they're operating under our operator certificates. Um, so you can add in another probably 15 drone operators, um, I don't think off the top of my head, around about that. So into the mix as well. So that, I guess, broadens out the team even further. Okay. And I was um, scrolling through your LinkedIn profile as you do when you're checking out people. Tell us a little bit about the mobile laser scanning work that you're doing. Uh, yes. So we're doing a bit of mobile laser scanning work, but also, I guess, more exciting than that is um, terrestrial photogrammetry. So full camera rigs being mounted on vehicles, being able to capture data at um, uh, eight typical highway speeds. So we're allowed to slow down to about 80 kilometers an hour on the, on the highway without any um, traffic control and things. So we're able to scan um, uh, cuttings. So where you get those steep rock faces where the roads go through. So there's a requirement to uh, look at those for stability assessments. So we built our own camera rig for that. And um, yeah, they wanted to supply it with drones. We just went, oh, probably not appropriate to be flying over the freeway. Uh, we're not going to get approvals for that. And the re requirements for the resolution mean that we need to be closer. So we developed up our own rig. Um, we're now looking to expand that out into a number of other service, service areas as well. So that vehicle-based capture, I think, is going to be quite important to us. And actually, one of the staff who is coming on starting on Monday, um, that's uh, a great deal of his background has been around that sort of terrestrial-based capture. Okay. And running a business is tough. Any insights for a prospective I don't know. I want. I don't want to say a middle-aged person thinking of doing a startup because that's generally like that's the startup entry in your forties. This is a brilliant idea to start a business. No, it's not. But anyway, give us your insights. Um, don't expect to have hair in ten years. Um, <laughs> that's that's probably one of the first ones. Um, as I say, it's. Uh, read a lot of books. Um, one in particular called The E-Myth is, is a particularly good one, So, which I didn't read before starting it, but I read afterwards, probably should have read it beforehand. Um, it's recommended reading for anyone who wants to get into this themselves. Um, and yeah, get, understand, yeah, basically knowing the tech is one thing, understanding the HR, the finance, the cash flow analysis, that's all the stuff that will get you unstuck. So you can get away with being a really good technical person up to sort of one, two, three staff. But as soon as you get beyond that, um, having those management skills is, is going to outweigh having the technical skills. So I think bringing that into the mix and also bouncing ideas off people. So having a group of um, people around you that have uh, undertaken that growth path uh, that you can bounce ideas off. Uh, just to make sure that you're not making the mistakes that other people have made. So learn from other people's mistakes. Don't make your own. I think that's probably the key to it. Yeah, but you know, human nature, it's like telling your children not to do something because you know it. And then, of course, they go, no, we have to learn our own lessons. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. And um, I guess 
I can't remember the statistics now about how many what percentage of companies don't make it through the first couple of years, but it's a very, very high percentage. So um, yeah, get a mentor, get somebody to help you find. I was lucky enough to have a business partner for a long time where we, we butted heads a lot, um, but we had, because we came at things from a different perspective, we were able to negotiate the middle ground. So um, you know, it was it was great to have sort of two differing opinions to be able to bring those together to come up with the best answer. Whereas um, if I was just allowed to, you know, from this is going back uh, 2015, um, if I was allowed to just go and make all my own decisions, then I would have made some horribly incorrect decisions. But because there were the two of us there to negotiate that, it did make life a lot easier. So if you don't have a business partner to do that with, I think it's really important to find somebody external to be able to bounce ideas off and um, and get that advice. Yeah, listen, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. I think the challenge is uh, finding someone that's a match for you um, and your mentors need, obviously, to have your best interest at heart. And it's a you know, it's a tricky thing to navigate. And it's, it's a lot of vulnerability because you're actually just exposing your underbelly, if I can put it like that, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, you need someone that you really can trust. Yeah, totally. Um, it, it's uh, it's confronting when you have to turn around to someone and you just go, you know, back in the early days, it's like, well, this is where things are at at the moment. I don't really have much cash in the bank. How do I manage this? And, you know, basically being able to juggle those things and being able to um, ask the questions, because if you don't ask the questions, you're not going to get the right answers. You have to be completely open on those things. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was very valuable. So we, um, yeah, myself and this is part of the time, we obviously went through some challenging times and uh, yeah, thankfully came through it and eventually, um, yeah, found someone who thought the company was good enough to um, invest in. Fantastic. Congratulations. There are also lots of tire kickers. Lots of people come around and go, oh, yeah, I'll buy your company. And they'll throw them around some big numbers. But yeah, after a while, you sort of turn around and go, yeah, this is just tire kickers, basically. So um, yeah. understand which ones are serious and which ones to spend time on. I think that's a tricky thing to navigate in business because you don't know, you don't want to say no too quickly because it could be at your peril, but it's a fine line. I don't know that I've actually figured it out yet. I think it's a lot of gut instinct and trial and error. Uh, it is. Um, and after a while, you learn. Uh, so yeah, we had um, yeah some meetings where it's like, oh wow, this is going to be amazing. You know, it's like showers of gold. But um, yeah, then they disappear, and you realise that maybe that contract's not written quite in your um, yeah, not in your favour. And there's a strong yeah. possibility of losing everything. So yeah, um, yeah um, getting getting a good uh, legal advice is also uh, probably worthwhile. That's actually interesting because I think as a cost for a small business, you're always you're mindful and going, oh, you know, I, I think I know everything. You touched a very valid point there. Yes, uh, contracts are only there when something goes wrong. So make sure the contract is um, well and truly vetted by somebody. All of your contracts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, really good advice. What's the rest of the year looking like for you and the company? Hectically busy. Uh, yeah, so this month is typically our quietest month. So yeah. every year, um, September, because of the cycles of budgets and uh, and things, so lots of proposals um, going out at the moment, but generally things are quite quiet, right? Yeah, yeah September is generally a, a quiet month. Uh, October, it will ramp up. So yeah. we've already got a lot of stuff popping into October. The solar farm season's kicking off now. So we've got mobilizations to two solar farms this week. Um the weather's getting better. Um, I can see a confluence of there's really good weather northwest WA at the moment uh, coming up for the next couple of months. So it's free sort of wet season. So a lot of flying there. So it looks like we've got some offshore projects coming on board. Um, 
and yeah it, and the run to christmas is crazy so typically we'll do two months worth of work in, in december um and that's because everybody wants everything done by christmas and then the, nobody looks at it until february Go figure. um <laughs> But yeah, so to send, yeah, the run from here to Christmas is always pretty hectic. Uh, so yeah. looking forward to that. Any drone person sounds as like they could stand in to be a weather person any day of the week on TV. <laughs> oh, uh, um, less so now, but uh, yeah, back in the day when I was flying all the time, I don't really get the opportunity these days. Um, I could tell you the wind speeds just by quickly looking around. I could tell you the wind speed plus or minus a couple of kilometers an hour. Plus, you know, including gusts. Um, yeah, you get to read it pretty well. And also yeah. all the various weather patterns that come through and knowing what time of the day you're going to get, you know, to a certain point and then the weather is going to come through and cause you all sorts of grief. But um, as we're doing a lot more of the internal inspection work now as well, that's actually quite good because it's isolated, obviously. So the guys are up. Um, I think we're booked into the power stations again on, on this weekend. So there'll be a whole bunch of internal boiler inspections, things like that happening this weekend. Oh, that's and the other thing. Flexibility. Yeah. Because of the weather requirements, having flexibility, yeah, days of the week don't really matter. It's weekends. If the weather's really good on a weekend, typically you just have to move stuff around and take days off when the weather's not quite so great. So flexibility for anyone listening out there. James, I'm mindful about your time. I know you've got a really busy day. Any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience with? Um, oh, if anybody wants to give me a, a call and chat things through, always welcome. Um, I yeah, I speak to a lot of other drone operators across the industry um, on a frequent basis and more than happy to, to provide um, yeah, advice and things. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, uh, look, it's, it's a massive industry. It's growing like crazy. The opportunities are, are phenomenal. The competition is, is quite... Um, yeah, it's quite high, but uh, yeah, there's also a lot of opportunity and larger companies, larger uh, industrial clients and things are really starting to adopt it now on a much bigger scale. So, um, you know, in the early days, our projects were $1,000 here, $5,000 there. And now we're seeing, you know, projects which are $200,000 here, $250,000 there. You know, these, there's, there's a huge increase in the volume of work. Um with a commensurate increase in the number of people in the industry but um yeah it's the, the projects are a lot larger now so uh, and the opportunities there so yeah i think that um the it's a fairly rosy outlook to be honest that's fantastic and just in terms of australia and all um the space we hold here like where do you think how do we compete with other countries or compare? Oh, I think, um i think australia is probably right at the front um you know, you look at some of the other companies um, in Australia, you've got um, uh, well, some absolute global leaders, Swoop Aero, uh, Cube, um, Propeller, Transpec. Uh, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch that are, you know, really taking on the globe and uh, kicking well above the weight that you'd expect um, within Australia. Obviously, you've got SIPAC as well doing their thing with the cardboard drones. Um, yeah, just to, just to name a few, and sorry for the ones I haven't named. I'm sure there's probably plenty there that I've missed. But um, yeah, just as a, I think, as, as a relatively small population, because we've we've been lucky with CASA, with Civil Aviation Safety Authority, in, in the way they've approached um, approvals, uh, we've got a good education system. We've got good technical people. So I think, you know, compared to our population, um, yeah, spreading around the world is there's a huge opportunity. So Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure catching up with you again. Um, I'm wishing you all success, obviously. And to our audience, uh, you have James's 
invite several times now to reach out to him. Where is the best place? Um, LinkedIn or company website? Uh, either or. I think my contact details are still on the company website. I probably need to stop that. Um, but yeah, link LinkedIn is probably the best place. <laughs> Okay, so LinkedIn is, and if you haven't uh, followed James or connected with him on LinkedIn, do so immediately. James, thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And to our audience out there, I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Look after yourself wherever you're on the world, and I look forward to your company again next time. Mm -hmm.